Now today we're going to continue in Daniel. We've been in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 2. Today we're moving into Daniel chapter 3. And the one picture, you're going to see this even more in just a moment, that the picture of Daniel, the book of Daniel, the first few chapters anyway, I mean, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I mean, let's be honest, they had a really difficult time. Because at every turn, at every moment, their lives were always on the line. Now, we've been talking about the idea of not compromising in the midst of a culture of compromise. Now, you know we live today in a world that is constantly pushing us to give in, pushing us to change our beliefs, pushing us to get to the place where we tweak, change, or completely distort God's Word in order to fit what the culture thinks is the norm, the the new situation. We know that's the case. We see it all the time. In fact, even the last couple of weeks, we've seen uh, presidential candidates who've said that if churches don't uh, fall into line and begin to believe the way the culture now believes, that, man, the government's going to come after them. It's going to change and take away their tax-exempt status. Here's what I have to say. I don't care what they do with our tax-exempt status. We will not compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not worried about that because God has called us to be faithful. He's not called us to be popular. My dad said that all throughout his entire life. God never called us to be popular. God did call us to be faithful. And what we're walking through right now is a passage of men who were faithful. Actually, let me change that. Boys who were faithful. These young men were 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. And in a culture that was constantly pushing on them, trying to twist them, trying to change them, in trying to kill them, they stood their ground. What great lessons we can learn from that. And we talked about that in Daniel chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 2. Today we're going to walk into a familiar passage. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time dealing with the whole fiery furnace stuff. I think you guys have been around long enough. You probably know the story. You know exactly what took place. In Daniel chapter 3 verses 1 and 2, it talks about how Nebuchadnezzar got, you know, got full of himself and decided to build this big statue. In fact, the statue was 90 feet tall by 9 feet wide. And he put that statue up, and it says that he built it outside of the city. He built it out a few miles away from the city because he wanted to make sure that it wasn't uh, distractions with regards to all the other things in Babylon, because Babylon was a pretty amazing city. You had the hanging gardens and other uh, ancient uh, mysteries and ancient wonders that were there. And so he wanted this thing to set out all by itself. And so the passage says that he went out into the the plains of Dura, outside of Babylon, to build this statue. And they spent a long time building this statue of gold, probably as a result of, uh, or response to, the dream that he had in Daniel chapter 2. Now you remember we talked about that last week, when he had that dream that there was this big statue that, you know, was gold and silver and iron and bronze and down to clay. And so probably it was a response to that dream that he had had. And so he went out and he built this, this massive structure. Now, some people would say, no, wait a minute, how could he build something that was 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, out of gold? How how could that happen? Well, in fact, there actually is some indication, some some evidence that it actually took place. In fact, in 1862, there was a French explorer who went uh, down into uh, what we know to be modern-day Iraq, and he did some excavations, and he found uh, about 16, 12 to 16 miles outside of what they believed to be uh, the city of Babylon at that time. And they found out there some brick structures that was like a large pedestal. It was about 20 feet high and about 45 feet wide. And they believed that that was the pedestal or the the, the base, if you will, for a large statue. 
Now you think about this statue that was 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. Nebuchadnezzar built it so people would worship there. Now whether he was creating a new God or whether it was an image of an existing God or maybe it was an image of himself to make himself a God, we don't really know. But we do know that he built this statue out there. And then in Daniel chapter 3, verse 3, here's what he decided he wanted to do. It says, after he gathered all the people there, all the the, the people of the nation uh, and all the people beyond the nation, brought them out, out into the wilderness, out into the desert there in front of the statue, it says, then a herald cried aloud. Now, when it says, when a herald cried aloud, a herald's job was to proclaim what the king had declared. So, in other words, the herald had to actually say, hey, here's what the king wants, okay? And so, here's what the herald cried aloud. To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, basically everybody on the face of the earth, here's what you're going to do, that at the time that you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And so the picture here is that he built this big statue. He built it out in the wilderness. He built it away from town. Uh, the statue was completed. He took everybody. He would commanded everyone to come from all the different parts of the nation, uh, of the, the empire of Babylon, to gather at this statue. And you can visualize in your mind how people, I mean hundreds of thousands of people gathered in this place and and spread out in every direction of this large 90-foot statue that was out in the middle of the wilderness. And then then the the declaration was sent out that, that when you hear the music, here's what you're going to do. You're going to fall on your face before that statue, and you are going to worship that statue as your God. Now, you know the rest of the story, right? We're talking about no compromise. We're talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you know exactly what they did, right? If you keep reading in the passage, it tells us that that when everybody heard the music, man, everybody fell except for three. Everybody fell on their faces in worship just as they were commanded to do except for three. Now, it's interesting that when those three didn't fall, it says that the Chaldeans were watching. They were looking to see what they were going to do. And so as soon as they saw that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had not fallen, had not begun to worship as everyone else had, they ran to the king and said, oh, king, live forever. You're not going to believe what happened here. But these Jews, now it's interesting that the passage says these Jews because it gives us this picture, this idea that they were clearly uh, not in favor of what King Nebuchadnezzar had done as a result of putting Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, in authority in the nation of Babylon. They, they didn't like them. There was an anti-Semitism there. There was a, a, a jealousy there, a disdain for these, these children that had been ripped away from their families that Nebuchadnezzar had brought uh, to the nation of Babylon. And so it says, these Jews, they're not bowing. You said that anybody who would not bow, that they would be thrown in the fiery furnace. And, and yet these three, these ones that you think are so great, these ones that you've put in authority over all the provinces of Babylon, these ones that you have elevated to these high positions, they are disobeying you. They are not doing what it is that you said that they were supposed to do. Which brings us to our first lesson that we can learn from this passage today that we kind of walk away from. And it's simply this, is the pressure to compromise will never go away. The pressure to compromise in that culture, in this culture, is never going to move away from where we are. 
In other words, if you're a person who claims to know Christ, a person who claims to walk this journey of faith that all of us in this room prayerfully uh, have decided to walk, those watching have decided to walk, here's what we know. We know this, the world is always going to try to get us off of line with God. The world is always going to try to push us off the rails, if you will, to get us away from what God has called us to do. Look what it says in this passage. After this declaration had come to the king that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had not done what they were supposed to do. Verse 13, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was enraged, and he was in fury. And so he gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and he spoke, saying to them, Is it true? Now you think about that. Remember now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were important people to King Nebuchadnezzar. We've already read in the passages that they had been elevated, that they had been lifted up to places of status and places of authority in the nation. And so now when, when the Chaldeans, when those watching told uh, the king that they were not bowing, obviously Nebuchadnezzar was mad because they challenged his authority. Let's be honest, he was embarrassed. He was upset because someone had dared to challenge his authority, and and so he had to prove a point here. He couldn't let someone challenge his authority. He couldn't let these three, as much as he loved them, he could not allow them to make the other people watching think that King Nebuchadnezzar was weak. And so he was mad, and he just asked the question, like, is it true? Seriously? Like, really, guys, after all I've done for you? I mean, yeah, I know I took you away from your families, but I brought you here. And listen, I have put you in like high authority. You guys have power. You guys are something now in the kingdom. I mean, you guys are above everybody else. And seriously, is it true that you have disobeyed me, your king? Let's keep reading what happens here. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I've set up? Now, if you're ready, in other words, everything that was just asking was not a question, it was a threat. It was a thinly veiled threat posed in the form of a question. So like, is it true? (laughs) Is it really true that you are not worshiping the God that I told you to worship? Conveying the idea after all the things that I've done for you, after all that I've given to you, now, now, he says, if you're ready. So like if you're over that little point of self-righteousness, if you're over trying to prove a point and trying to show off a little bit, if you're past that, now if you're ready, at the time that you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I've made good. In other words, I'm giving you a second chance, which by the way was remarkable. Uh, Kings of that day didn't give second chances often. In fact, if you disobeyed the king, pretty much, you were going to get your head cut off instantly. Remember when they couldn't, uh, they couldn't interpret the dream? Remember that? In the last chapter? Like, there was no second chances. They started killing people. King Nebuchadnezzar had them begin to kill the astrologers instantly. There was no second chances. But yet here, he's giving them a second chance. So he says, listen, if you'll do it now, if you'll bow down now, if you'll come to the place of compromise now, good. But let's go on reading. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is this God who will deliver you from my hands? Now think for a minute if you would. What Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego must have been thinking? 
They'd already been through this, this culture where they had been ripped away from their family. They'd already experienced the loss of everything that they knew to be dear and special that they loved. They'd been through so much. They had witnessed what they went through with Daniel back in chapter 1 when they decided to challenge the king's authority and they survived that one. They had seen what took place in Daniel chapter 2, even though we don't really know how much longer after this uh, that chapter 3 takes place, but, but we, they, they had seen exactly what took place there when, when Daniel was at the threat. In fact, they were actually in the house, remember, with Daniel when the executioners were coming, right, to kill Daniel. They were sent out, if you will, and so they knew they were coming. So they had seen all this stuff. So basically, they're sitting there thinking, they have to be thinking, even though baseball didn't exist back then. I'm sorry, Lee Guterman, forgive me for saying that. But they probably, at this point, had to get to the place where they thought, okay, three strikes and you're what? And yet, when the king said, bow down. When the king said, I'm going to give you a second chance here. I wonder what took place. Of course, we all know what took place, right? Which brings us to the second thing we can learn from this passage. Trusting God is always more important than our personal comfort. Trusting God is always more important than anything that we can bring out of a situation that makes us feel better or more comfortable. Look what happened here, what they did. It goes on to tell us here in this passage in verse 16. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Think about those words. Again, set the stage, right? So this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Number one, they're Jews. They're not Babylonians. They were slaves. They were ripped away from their families. They were people that literally had no right to say anything, but yet they'd been elevated because of their stature and because of what they'd accomplished. And and, and so God had had allowed them to, uh, to find favor with the king. And yet when they're challenged here with the king, what is their answer? What's their response? Their answer is just simply this. Uh, King, excuse me, we don't answer to you. I mean, can't you just see him like doing that? Like, we don't answer to you. Man, you think about the courage that it took to say that to the king, knowing what was going to be facing them. Because they'd already heard. The king had told them once by the herald. The king had told them twice face to face. So guys, if you're over that little self-righteous stuff, And if you bow down now, well, that's good. But if you don't, oh, we're going to throw you into the burning, fiery furnace. Isn't it interesting that when the herald said it, it was only the fiery furnace. But when King Nebuchadnezzar said, to the burning, fiery furnace, like you are going down. And they said, yeah, we, we, we don't answer to you. Can you imagine the courage that it took that in the face of that kind of attack, in the face of that kind of opposition, in the face of that kind of of, of fear, no compromise. Quick question. How would you do in that setting? i got to be honest with you. As I was studying this passage and walking through this passage again this week, which, you know, probably as you have as well, I've read it a million times. Like, I'm 53. I've been there a lot of times in this passage, going all the way back to flannel graph days. I've been there, right? I've been there, done that. You guys have too. But i got to be honest, this week I asked myself a question, like taking me back as if this were the first time I'd ever heard it. What would you do? And i got to be honest, I struggled. Like, man, if someone today 
were to walk up to me, like, let's put it in our context, like someone in today's world walked up with a gun and put a gun in my face and said, so listen, either you are going to worship another God or I will shoot you in the face and you will die. That's a tough question, isn't it? And I look across this room and I see thousands of faces from all different walks of life. And let's be honest, we live in a culture where we are so insulated from that kind of attack. That's not even feasible. It's not even like something that we could imagine taking place. And yet, and yet, today there are people all over the world who have that happen to them regularly. Who face that kind of opposition and that face of attack that, that seems to be so ever-present. So, so how would you do? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just simply said this, man, we, we don't answer to you in this matter. They went on to say, if, if that is the case, our God, now if that is the case, meaning like, like if we're going to get thrown in the fiery furnace, so we're not bound down. So if you are going to do what you said that you're going to do, here's what they said. If that's the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Can you imagine how mad the king was now? Because all this was said in front of the people who had reported them, right? So it's getting worse, and it's getting worse, and, and the king is getting embarrassed. Like, like they're, they're challenging the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And so you know the king's rage and fury that has already been present, we've already read that, was probably growing to the boiling point now. And then here they say, listen, even if you do, even if you throw us in that fiery furnace, our God will protect us. Our God will take care of us. Let me just tell you, you know what that is? Let's be honest. That is insane faith. Insane faith. And you know what? I was sitting there in this passage this week thinking, I want insane faith. Now, when you think of the word insane, it's not always good, right? Like, so if I were to walk over to you and say, hey, how are you? What's your name? John? I'll remember that. Yeah, you're insane. Now, if I were to tell, let's be honest. If he were visiting the church, but I hope you're not. Lord, I, you're not visiting. No, I've seen you. So if he were visiting the church here today, probably he would walk out. That pastor called me insane. I'm not going back. I mean, let's be honest, right? Insane is not, you're not insane. Is he? She's not speaking. So... I mean, that's not like a compliment. But here's what I want in my, in my walk with God. I want insane faith. Because insane faith means this, faith that doesn't make sense. Faith that is like so out of the ordinary, so out of the expected, so out of the, the possible. Like faith that is so, so elevated to a point where like literally I can't believe you have that kind of faith. That's the kind of faith God wants us to have. That's the kind of faith that God wants you to have in the fiery furnaces of your life. When you are facing that attack, when you're facing that, that situation where people are saying you're going to compromise or else, that you can stand there and say, I don't care. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you think. I will not compromise because my God will deliver me. That's insane faith, isn't it? Like, isn't that awesome? But let's keep going here, because it gets really good here in a second. Because here's what happens next. What happens next is a picture of the sovereignty of God that everyone in this room, we need. Because let's be honest, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
they weren't sure that God was going to deliver them. They knew that God was going to protect them. They knew that God was, was in control. They, they knew all of that stuff. But here's what they didn't know. They didn't know if one minute later, if they were going to be burning in the fiery furnace or not. They didn't know that. They trusted God. But let's be honest. They probably expected, thought, this guy is going to burn me up. Look what they said next. Interesting word. And this is so important. Something we can learn here. So they just said now, so this God that we serve, he's able to deliver us from that burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But listen to these next words. This is critical. But if not, the three hardest words probably ever spoken by any human on the face of the earth in that culture and in your culture. I know God's going to protect me. I know God's going to deliver me. I know God's going to heal my cancer. I know God's going to get me through this financial challenge. I know God's going to find that job that I desperately need. I know God is going to put my marriage back together. I know God's going to bring my son or daughter who's away from God back to me and back to him. I know God's going to do that. He's able to do it. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-loving. I know that my God will do that. But if not... See why those are tough words? Because what you're saying is this. I know my God can do anything, but I'm also willing to accept that maybe my God will not. Which is why so often we have the privilege, but also the tragedy of standing by the, the casket of a person who, that we prayed for healing, prayed for healing, prayed for healing, and they died. We trusted God for healing. But if not, so look what they say next. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. In same faith, we trust God, we believe in God, our God could reach down and pick us up right now and take us out of your presence in an instant. Absolutely, our God can do that. But if he doesn't, and if you take us in the next minute and throw us in that fiery furnace, you know what? We are not going to compromise. We will serve and trust the Lord our God, period. That's insane faith, isn't it? That's insane faith. And that's the kind of faith that God wants every single one of us in this room to have. And it's so difficult. Because let's be honest, there are moments when we get to the place in our lives and our situations and the, the journeys, the challenges that we're facing where, where we're praying for God to do something big and, and then maybe God doesn't do it the way that we want Him to do it. God takes a, a different tack, a different turn, and, and we're sitting there back thinking, like, like, why God? Or worse, sometimes, like, where is God? You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not questioning where God is. He would, they were not questioning, like, the, the sovereignty and the power of God. They were not questioning the authority of God. They were not questioning any of those things. They were simply saying, God, your will, not mine, be done. Those are tough things to say. Easy to say when you're standing on a stage, preaching in a room where everything's good. Boy, difficult. When you go out there in a world that is falling apart. In a culture where death is ever-present. Where the attack to compromise comes at every turn. 
And yet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, man, they stayed firm. They stayed strong. They stayed because they just simply believed our God, our God, he can deliver us. So what do we learn from that? God will never leave us on our own. Which brings us to the famous part of the passage, right? So, you know, Nebuchadnezzar mad. And so he decides, man, we're going to throw you guys in the fire. You're not going to do that to me. I'm going to show all of my people here. I'm the king, not you. That God you're talking about, I don't even know who that God is. I am going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And it says that he ordered them to be thrown in. And it says the guards took them. They took them and they wrapped them in their clothes. You say, why, why does it say what clothes they were wearing? Well, the reason is because of the fabrics that they had at that time, that they were quick to catch on fire. And so they wanted to make sure that when they threw, they threw them in there, like everything they could burn was going to burn. Like this was going to be like a burning, fiery furnace, but it was going to be like a really hot burning, fiery furnace, right? Like the hottest that it could get. And then they ratcheted that thing up. And you know what happened? That when the guards took them and threw them into the fiery furnace, you know the story, right? The guards who threw them in instantly died because the heat was so intense. And so they threw them in. Now, let's be honest. Nebuchadnezzar, like, okay, that's done. That's over with. I showed them probably turning to walk back to the people that were all watching to see what the king was going to do when challenged. Probably walking back to then, you know, with his chest stuck out a little bit, you know, kind of doing like a little cool walk. Is that a cool walk? I don't know how to do a cool walk. If that was a cool walk, awesome. If it wasn't, just ignore it. Probably walking back with that, like, I'm better than any of you in the room, man. I'm awesome. But then something happened. You see, something changed, because here's what took place next. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste, and he spoke, saying to the counselors, wait, wait a minute, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And the answer said to the king, true, O king. Look, he said, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he sees not three, not three bound, not three tied up, not three like burning, smoking, singeing, skin falling off of the bones. They're up walking around, they're having a party. Oh, and wait a minute, there were four. Now it's interesting when you read this passage, and I gotta be, I'm about to say something that I know I'm gonna get letters on. I know it. I'm gonna get emails. I know it. I know it, but I'm still gonna say it. So, I just read to you, and you saw it on the back wall. I think you saw it on the back wall. You did. Yeah, there it is. It says, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. That is not what Nebuchadnezzar actually said. The King James Version does not do a good job of translating this passage. In fact, a better translation, in fact, some of the translations actually say it this way, and it says, and his form is like a son of the gods. Like, in other words, like, like he is a, a some kind of divine creature, because Nebuchadnezzar had no concept whatsoever of the Trinity. He had no concept whatsoever of the nature of our God, that triune God. He didn't know anything about this God. He didn't know anything about it, really. And so, he didn't say it's like, you know, it's like the Son of God, like Jesus is in there with him. It's like there's something weird in there. There's something supernatural in there. There's something that doesn't make sense in there. It goes beyond what I can imagine that's in there. It's like there's a God in there with them. That's what Nebuchadnezzar said. Which, man, let me tell you, that teaches me. It teaches me, like when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had that insane faith, 
and said, I don't care what you say, king, we are not going to worship your God. They did the unthinkable. You know what it teaches me? When we have the courage to do the unthinkable, God will do the supernatural. Isn't that awesome? But like, like when we do what doesn't make sense, God's going to show up and take us to the next level. He's going to raise us. He's going to take us to the next step and like not only do what doesn't make sense, he's going to do what really, really doesn't make sense. The king of Babylon, the highest level king that there was, the ruler of all the world said this, like there's some kind of a God in there with him. Can you imagine what he must have thought? I got to be honest with you. He must have been scared to death, right? I mean, think about it. They should have been burned up. He saw the guards burned up. He saw like them die instantly. And now they're in there and they're having a party. You know, they're, they're, they're playing games in there. They're doing like, you know, dancing with the stars or something. I mean, you know, they're just in there. They're just, everything's great. And the king is probably scared to death. And so then Nebuchadnezzar went into the mouth or near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and he spoke saying Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego servants of the most high God come out and come here now don't miss this leave this on the screen for a minute said Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and what follows those three names remember the king uh, the king is saying this king of Babylon king Nebuchadnezzar here's what he's saying now changed totally like remember they're all worshiping that gold statue out there they're all worshiping that thing that he built out there But look what the king says now. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God. So in other words, Nebuchadnezzar realized that gold statue doesn't mean a thing. There is a God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said that would deliver them. That's the God that I want to know about. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out here. Come out of that fiery furnace. So what ended up happening here is just simply this. There was a change of heart in Nebuchadnezzar. And I love what it says in Daniel chapter 3, verse 27. The last part of that verse, I love this. And the smell of fire was not on them. Remember back in the days when you could smoke on airplanes? How many of you remember that? All the old people. That's awesome. Remember when you know, they used to smoke on airplanes and you go sit down and, and, you know, you'd ask for no smoking, which was like just a joke, you know? All that means it's going to take you eight seconds to get the smoke rather than right away. And so you would go in and you would sit down and as soon as you started, you know, they took off and they got up to altitude and, and the no smoking light went off. That was always like the, just the worst. That was like worse than like, hey, the pilot coming on saying we're going to crash. To me, that was worse. Because what that told me is this, in the next five seconds, you're going to stink the rest of the day. You're going to smell, and if you smoke, I'm, I'm not condemning you at all. Um, I'm really not. It's like my dad said, smoking will not send you to hell. It'll just make you smell like you've been there. That's all. So, um, so, so we, get, we, you know, we get in there, and, and all of a sudden the smoke starts filling that cabin because it's like a little tube, and like the rest of the day, you know, I'm going to smell like cigarette smoke the rest of the day. You know that. You know, remember that, right? You remember that happened, if you, if you were old enough to remember that. They were sitting in the most hot, burning, fiery furnace that killed guards when they even got too close to it. They were singed and they were killed instantly. They're walking around in the fire. They're having a party in the fire. And when they come out of the fire, they didn't even smell like smoke. 
Let me just tell you something. The next time that you are in a trial that is challenging your faith and challenging you to the place where you're like, I don't know if I can make it, remember that God, the Most High God, because not only will He deliver you, not only will He strengthen you, you will come out and you won't even smell like smoke. I love that. You won't even have any signs of what the world was trying to do to you. Why? Because that's who our God is. And so they walked out of there. They didn't even smell like smoke. So what does that teach us? It teaches this. God's presence is greater than you could ever imagine. The presence of God in your life is greater than anything that you could ever come up with. Like, man, I want all the money in the world. doesn't hold a candle to the presence of God. Man, I want the best job in the world. I want power. I want to be famous. I want status. I want Instagram likes. I want people to like my photos over and over again so I can get paid to go on there and say something like the, the Jenners and the Kardashians. I would love to get paid a million dollars for saying, hey, that's a cool bottle of perfume. I mean, wouldn't that be cool? Like, I want all of that stuff, the world says, and none of it holds a candle to the presence of the living God in your life. The presence of God is greater than anything that you can imagine. Look what this passage says. I love this. Daniel chapter 3, verse 29. Therefore, the king speaking. Now, let's pause there for a moment. The same king who said, either you bow down and worship this pile of gold that I built in the wilderness, or I'm going to kill you. That same king now says these words. I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made in ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this God. The king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, says, listen, if you ever say anything bad about that God, I will cut you. This guy loved to kill people, didn't he? I mean, I can just can imagine he walked around with like hatchets and axes and knives all over him so like he could just whip him out, you know, like, hey, did you have a nice day? No, head gone. I mean, that's probably what this guy was. And here he is saying, listen, if you say anything bad about this God, I will cut you into pieces because there is no God like that God. There is no God like their God. There is no God like that God. Let me ask you a question. Because everybody in this room, regardless of how old you are, how young you are, regardless of whether things are going well or whether things are falling apart, every single one of in this room have either been in or we are in or we will be in a life-changing, cataclysmic, challenge, problem, tragedy that you can't possibly imagine. Everybody in this room will get there one day. Will you have the faith to say, it doesn't matter because there is no God? like my God. That's the faith God wants us to have. That's the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And by the way, have you ever wonder, like, where was Daniel in all this? Like, like why was it just these three? Because it says in the passage, everybody else bowed down except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is just a side note, just like for theological purposes. Like, Daniel wasn't there. Go back to Daniel chapter 2, verse 39. Here's what it tells us. It tells us this, that he, Daniel, was appointed by the king to stay back at the palace. So everybody was out, but somebody had to take care of things back home. It's a picture. It's a picture of this. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing in the face of the king and standing up for the God that they love. No compromise. While the only other person in the entire book of Daniel who did not compromise was back and he was leading the house of the king. Here's what that tells us. No matter where you are, whether you are in the fire or whether you are over there, and by the way, you know Daniel's going to be back in the fire soon, right? Regardless of where you are, whether you are out of trouble or in trouble, whether you are right smack dab in the middle of it or whether it's just around the corner in the form of a lion in a den, when you don't compromise and you trust in the Lord our God, there is nothing that will stop you. That's the lesson we can all walk out of here today with. We live in a culture that's going to try to get you to compromise. We live in a culture where it's not only going to try to get you to compromise, it's easier to compromise. Like things will go much better if you just compromise. Life will be so much easier if you'll just compromise. And here's what God says. Don't. When you think about it, don't. When everything's telling you to compromise, don't. Why? Well, let's go back to the immortal words of that great theologian, King Nebuchadnezzar, because there is no God like our God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the words that we have read today from your word that speak truth to our lives when we need it the most. God, I know in this room today, people watching, listening today, there are people who are in the midst of the great fiery furnaces of life, and they're probably wondering, is it worth it? Can I stand firm? Can I be courageous? Can I continue to trust God? God, I thank you that today we have been reminded yet again, as your word always does, you bet we can be courageous. Absolutely we can stand firm. No doubt about it, we can trust God. Thank you, God, for that encouragement. And so, God, I pray that today in this moment of invitation, if there's someone here, someone watching, someone listening, God, who who maybe they've like not been quite sure. God, I pray that today you would help them in these next few moments to just simply cry out to you in their hearts, God, I trust you. God, no matter what, I trust you. Whether you deliver me the way that I want or if not, God, I trust you. God, I pray that you would put that into their hearts. God, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, never experienced that gift that Jesus gave when he came and he died on the cross for our sins and when he was buried and then three days later rose again to do what doesn't make sense, to give us salvation, to pay for our sins. God, if they've never come to the place where they say, I believe, God, I pray, that in these next few moments that they too would recognize, as Nebuchadnezzar did, there's no God like our God. And that today, that they would do what Romans chapter 10 tells us. That they would believe in their hearts that Jesus is your son, that he died and that he rose again. Believe that he is the only way, the truth, and the life. In Romans 10, 13, that today they would call on your name and they would be saved. God, do that work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. In a moment, we're going to stand together. Our team's going to be gathered here at the front. And as we sing these words... Man, let them be words of passion, words of commitment, words that truly depict what's in your heart, not just words, declarations, regardless of what it takes for you to make that declaration, 
regardless of what the others might think about you, if you make this declaration, as King Nebuchadnezzar, who had everything to lose, stood up in front of the whole congregation, and he simply said this, there is no God like their God. If God is speaking to you today, I encourage you as we stand and sing, man, you make that move to do what God has called you to do. If you want to come down and talk with our team about what it means to follow Christ, we would love to do that. If you want to come down and kneel here and just say, God, thank you for being that God, that God for me in the midst of the fiery furnace, thank you, God. If you want to come and kneel here, do that. You want to come and leave a prayer request, do that. If you want to come and join our church or come for baptism, take that next step of your faith, then do that. Whatever God is telling you to do, make the declaration today. I don't care what the world says. I don't care how many people I got to scoot by out of this row because there's no God like my God. Let's stand. Let's sing together today. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us here today. You know, at Thomas Road Baptist Church, since our very beginning, back in 1956, we've been about one thing and one thing only, and that is to bring the message of hope that comes through Jesus Christ to the world. And today, my friends, we recognize we live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world that's full of division and conflict and pain and sorrow. But Jesus came to this world not to bring division and sorrow, but to bring joy, to bring peace to bring hope. And today, that's the message that we want to share with you. And if you're watching this and you've never had the opportunity of, of connecting with him at that level, of understanding what it is that Jesus came to do, then I encourage you and I want to let you know the greatest news you'll ever hear. And that's this, God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, he gave his only son, Jesus, to come to this earth to die on the cross, to pay for your sins and for my sins, to do for us what we never could do for ourselves. What an amazing gift that really is. God loves you. Christ died for you. But three days later, he rose again. And when he came out of that grave, he gives us victory over sin, over Satan, over the grave. He gives us the hope for eternity. But according to God's word, it's very clear. What we must do is believe. We must believe that Jesus is the son of God. We must believe that he died and that he rose again. And if we do that, according to Romans 10, 13, anyone, that means you, it means me, it means every person that has ever lived, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I encourage you today to recognize that hope that comes through Jesus. And if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, do so today, believing that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said that he did, calling on his name, and it'll change everything. That is the message that we share. It's a message that we want to take to the entire world. And today I would encourage you to connect with us, maybe even financially through a gift that you can help us to take this message around the world. I encourage you today to stand with us as we stand with truth, as we stand with hope to let the world know God loves.